On this edition of the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast, we talk about an incredible series of articles written by the San Francisco Chronicle about the drug dealing pipeline that has totally reshaped that city. The money man, Dave Leventhal, is back. We talk about all the quirks of this cycle's fundraising session, debates, and the big winners and losers from our Q2 reports. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Owe Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Wednesday, July 12th, 2023. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you back in Austin, Texas, out of our little summer swoon and uh, back at it again. We are gearing up, man. You can feel everything turning. We got Q2 fundraising results coming up a little bit later this week. We'll take a sneak peek at it with Dave Leventhal a little later. We've got debate qualifying. We've got new entrants into gigantic 2024 races and Senate Republicans saying not so fast, my friends. We're not going to let a crop of Dr. Oz's and Herschel Walker's ruin What could be their last best chance to cement a majority in that chamber for the next few cycles. But before we get to all of that, I want to do a little bit of a detour. This is not something that we talk about a lot on this show, especially when we have actual election news. But I do want to bring it to your attention. Many of you will remember that we had a man on this show that went by the name on Twitter, Better Soma. He's a neighborhood activist in San Francisco, and his social media account has been controversial, to say the least. He's a liberal guy. He's a small business owner. He loves, loves, loves the city by the bay. But he's unrepentant in showing the squalor and awful havoc that drugs and homelessness have done to the neighborhood that he loves, Soma, meaning south of Market. One of the things that we talked to him about was how uncomplicated the problems that plague the city are. Specifically, there are open-air drug markets that have been supercharged by addicts that come from all over the country, drawn by harm reduction policies by the city of San Francisco, wherein you can get free foil and and straws. He claims that this is a malignant mutation of harm reduction programs from the 90s and 2000s that were largely about intravenous drugs, so needle exchanges. 
that is materially different than handing out foil and straws to smoke things like crystal meth, crack, and most dangerously now, fentanyl. One of the things that I don't know if we talked about in our episode, but he is very, very, very dialed in on is the fact that the system here is so well known that the drug dealers are known as Hondos. Hondo being short for Honduran. And it is with that in mind that I would like to point your attention to read something that I think is worthwhile. We spend a lot of time on this show. I spend a lot of time personally on this and any other platform that I have decrying bad journalism. And it is oftentimes very easy because very popular things are often awful, in my opinion. And and, and I say that from a perspective of somebody that had it drilled into his head, not only through school, but also through my brief career as a reporter, what is good and what is bad. And there are rules to this. And so while I sneer at things like the who farted and where stories of the political gossip scene, things that I think would better belong in tabloids for which there's a place for them in in the journalism ecosystem in your you know, food pyramid diet of journalism. You know, you can have at the, at the, at the tippy top, you, you can have a little New York Post, right? As a treat. But in general, when we are looking at things that are nutritious, that actually teach us a lesson, well, I want to give you an example of something that I think does. So the San Francisco Chronicle just published a series four articles in total. The first two, I think, are by far the most important in terms of news breaking. The other two are profiles that are also very good. I want to credit Megan Cassidy and the photography and reporting of Gabrielle Laurie because they deserve credit. These stories are not good. They are great. And they, reportedly for them for the first time, and and I have not read anything that would dissuade me from that honorarium have done the first deep dive into the supply side of the drugs that have ravaged San Francisco. And I say that not only as somebody that lived in the Bay area for damn near a decade that left the Bay area in part factored into the equation that there was a deteriorating element of humanity there, but also because this has political and economic ramifications. So we'll get to those in a second. But if I were to sum up the reporting of these articles, it is simple. There is an area 80 miles north of the capital of Guatemala where a pipeline of largely young men have come up to not only the Bay Area, but a few other, and I say this specifically because it is spelled out from the mouths of the dealers in this article. Sanctuary city policies 
and permissive policing so they can make more money than they would ever make in Guatemala and more money than they will make working a straight job in America as an undocumented immigrant selling drugs, drugs that are furnished to them by the Mexican cartels using chemicals that the cartels buy from China. The money that is sent back from these hondos is large enough to buy houses in the impoverished village for which they come. And the pictures in this reporting are truly remarkable. They, they are, they are uh, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words kind of images. Houses that are far larger than all the houses around them. Houses that have wrought iron gates with the San Francisco 49ers logo on it. One of which has the words in English, Civic Center. Civic Center being one of the most blighted open air drug markets in America. Murals with not only the Bay Bridge, which connects San Francisco to Oakland, but also the Golden Gate Bridge, which famously connects San Francisco to the North Bay. Now, the existence of Hondos is not anything new. Even deposed district attorney of San Francisco, Chelsea Boudin, said so, that there was a large amount of Hondurans that were human trafficked into the city. And in the reporting, with these Hondurans, that is kind of poo-pooed. While obviously there are a million different ways in which people cross the border from the United States, or sorry, from wherever they come from in Central or South America into the United States. There are some that walk across the border and the cartels, which control the Mexican side of that land, they will say either you can get $2,000 together and then wait for a coyote to get you across or if you don't have any money, you can work for us. And those people, depending on your idea of human trafficking, are indeed on pain of death, as the former DA said. That's not everybody. And the reporting seems to suggest that it's not the majority. That the majority of people who have come to San Francisco to aid the supply side of one of the most visual drug epidemics in the United States of America are there for the reason that most people do things in the United States of America. Because it's good money. Because it's safer. And the local laws, and this is my interpretation, this is not something that is spelled out explicitly in the reporting, although all the pieces are there if you want to put them together. The local laws of San Francisco have resulted in nothing short of a subsidy for this business. This is materially the same as when your local city or state decides to give tax breaks to a, for a business to build a factory or decides to defer or shade certain laws so there can be jobs that will be brought in to that area. 
The only difference is, is that the jobs that have been created are drug dealing positions. And that the business that is being fostered, if not out and out encouraged by that city's decisions, is addiction. Addiction that has led to human wreckage of inhumanity in one of the most beautiful areas of our country. Again, this is a work of journalism that I greatly encourage you to go read. It's not often that I read something that absolutely knocks my socks off. And let me also say this, because I know you guys like me talking journalism. There's a lot of unnamed sources in this. But you want to know what? I'm okay with an article that uses a lot of named sources when they are in positions for which you should get their name and occupation on the record, then you get it. When it is a drug dealer for whom is currently doing something illegal and you can get enough of them, and I believe that the terminology in this particular article is that 25 were spoken to, some inside the game currently, some out of the game. Some have taken their money and gone straight, at least allegedly, that they would tell the reporter. Still, very good stuff, very comprehensive stuff, and I would encourage anybody to go out of their way to read it. I know that the San Francisco Chronicle has a fairly hard paywall. Uh, I did not get a paywall uh, thing for this. So go ahead. I'm going to link it in the show notes. Please, please, please. It is well worth your time if you care about this kind of stuff. And I'll tell you, the more some of these issues crystallize in a city as liberal as San Francisco, there cannot help but be ramifications nationally, not only for the Democratic Party coalition, but also for independents that lean or could be persuadable to vote Democrat, but might want a more tough on crime stance because all politics are local. And if the Democrats cannot turn out the cities, well, you've got a lot of problems on your map. This is your update, brought to you as always by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. It's where you support the show. It's where you get bonus content. It's where you, uh, you know, if you are a $3 member at TakePoliticsSeriously.com, three bucks a week, less than a cup of coffee, you will get five episodes this week. Because we had the everyone in the pool feed drop on Tuesday, which I really liked. Hopefully you guys dug. But we have... Five episodes a week. That's because you get an episode on Monday, an episode on Thursday. You double up your 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 stuff normally. Now this week, because we had three in the free feed, it'll be two. But still, head on over there right now. Things are happening very, very fast. You don't want to be without your PX3. But let's talk about some stuff that is outside 
the world of San Francisco drug dealing and then the finance numbers. Turkey has agreed to back Sweden's NATO membership bid. That means that Sweden and Finland will uh, now assuredly become parts of the North American Treaty Organization. This ends the gigantic run of neutrality for Sweden. Sweden, which pieced out of two world wars, totally sat out the Cold War. Well, Vladdy Putin finally crossed the line with Ukraine. And uh, now it looks as if after a deal with Erdogan of Turkey, which will affect the fight between Erdogan and the Kurdish uh, minority in that country, Sweden will now join NATO. This, of course, all happening at the NATO meetings that are currently ongoing. The big question going forward will be what happens with Ukraine, but it seems as if everybody is on the same page that obviously this whole war thing is going to have to wrap up first. The Republican Party is addressing candidate quality in the Senate yet again. Sam Brown, a decorated Army veteran who lost a GOP primary for a Nevada Senate seat last year, is launching another run for Senate, this time with the unquestioned support of Republican leadership. Senator Steve Daines, who is running the Senate's GOP campaign arm, is very cognizant. He wakes up every day and he says, what am I doing today, Steve? And he thinks, oh yes, not being Rick Scott, who did not intervene in any Senate primaries and had Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz and Adam Laxalt on the ticket in 2022. And so he's looking at all these primaries and winnable seats. Nevada's not, Nevada's winnable. Not a slam dunk. It's not West Virginia, where Danes has already backed a candidate. It is not Montana, where Danes has backed a very strong candidate. No, no, no. This is a toss-up. Laxalt versus Cortez Masto was toit. But we now have our Republican favorite. Here is Brown during his announcement. I've heard from so many Nevadans. People who are discouraged. And we want a leader. We want a new leader. Someone who has the courage to stand up and do the right thing. Someone who will put Nevadans first. And someone who will never, ever quit. I've heard those calls from across our wonderful state. And I stand here ready to lead today ready to stand up and fight for our country, to fight for Nevada, and to work for the people I love. And that's why today I stand here before you to announce my candidacy for the United States Senate from the great state of Nevada. The Senate has released a 10-page summary, including appendixes, of the... PGA and Live merger. They've looked into this and there are some very, very interesting revelations here. 
kind of more of a sports story than a politics story. But uh, uh, I know there, there's assuredly if there are people listening to a politics podcast. Well, I'm going to assume that at least 20 percent of you are golf fans. So here we go. According to the negotiations that the Senate got access to, the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia pitched to the PGA the following possibilities. That Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods own live golf teams and participate in at least 10 live golf events. A live golf style team global event with qualifying events head in Saudi Arabia and a final week in Dubai. A global golf investment fund managed by the PIF. That is something that definitely happened. That is something that we now know happened. And a minimum of two PGA high-profile events to be sponsored by Armaco and or the Public Investment Fund with one of these events held in Saudi Arabia. So the the picture that is painted in this report is a, a very fast negotiation between these two parties. That things came together extraordinarily quickly. There were a lot of things thrown uh, uh, together the PGA wanted Greg Norman fired from Live. That seems to have yet happened. We don't know whether or not we are going to get a challenge from the federal government to say that this is an acquisition and this is something that cannot be allowed. But reading through it, it seems pretty clear to me that this was a capitulation by the PGA and that the Saudis came in they had bled the PGA for, for legal fees and that the PGA had done their best to try to run them off. And despite the fact that the Live Golf Tour, which is a rival tour, had, st- had stolen some of the biggest talent from the PGA that and, and had not gotten a lot of uh, television momentum, that the PGA looked at this as an inevitable Situation where they were going to have to merge. And so they decided to do it on more beneficial terms. But it, it appears that nobody knew about this final thing until it was done. And part of it was the speed in which the deal was made. And that is your update. Again, takepoliticsseriously.com is where you need to go if you would like to get two bonus episodes each and every week. And now... Back to the show. It's over. Time is running out. These are the kinds of pleas that you have either already or will read in your inbox as we get closer and closer to the 2024 election cycle. Because those are the kind of hyperbolic subject lines that rake in money, especially when you have to report to the Federal Election Commission exactly how much money you have made. That second-figure report will come out later this week, but we do know some of the information about what will be in it, and we have some pretty interesting context that I think you're going to want to know before that news hits on the 15th. Who better to bring on than our old friend from Raw Story, the money man, 
Dave Leventhal. Welcome back, Dave. It is a pleasure to be back on the show, Justin. And this, I feel like, actually marks the beginning of your regular appearances on this show, not only to talk about all the stuff that you guys are doing over there at Raw Story, but for our personal fascination with fundraising and and everything it means and doesn't mean in the world of the 2024 elections and beyond. Uh, I think we should also point out that as we record this, it's the 11th. People will hear it on the 12th. We will get official numbers on what was raised on the 15th, correct? That is correct. And a, a note to all of your listeners, if you are hearing about, reading about any figure prior to that date on the 15th, from yes. any politician, any political committee, take it with a grain of salt the size of Madagascar, because right now <laughs> it is spin zone times 20. These candidates are trying to get ahead of what could potentially be bad news or not great news for them. And, and they're, they're really working over time to, to try to, to cast this with with the rosiest glow that they possibly can before the actual real hard numbers come out and they have to put their name on and sign and certify them and send them to the federal election commission so that reporters and people like you and me can, can go and tear through them and, and, you know, yeah. pull out any lies that, that, that may have been stated. Well, let's let's actually talk about that for a second before we go into some of the numbers that have been put out by the campaigns, because it, it always seems to me that an outright lie about these kinds of numbers is a pretty short money situation because the numbers are are going to come out pretty quickly uh, compared to when you say that there are different versions of them. But obviously there is outright lying and then there is massaging the truth. So give us some some examples maybe in the past of how campaigns or candidates have tried to present a rosier picture to cement public opinion before the big, boring FEC numbers come out. And, and you said massaging the truth. Typically, it's torturing the truth. And, and <laughs> although, although you do, you know, occasionally get an outright lie, much of this is is exactly that. Uh, people taking numbers and, and, and getting very creative with the math. And, you know, on, a, on the broadest sense, and I'll give you a specific example, yeah. a very recent one at that, you know, we're dealing with a whole variety of different organizations that are somewhat or fully or not so fully connected with a presidential campaign. And mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes, we're, we're talking about presidential campaigns here, uh, you know, in the context of this discussion. So you've got the candidate's own presidential committee okay that's that's yeah. the mothership that that's where where the real money is going but there are other groups uh so for example most of these presidential candidates running have affiliated super PACs which by law cannot sit down at a boardroom table and coordinate efforts with that presidential yeah. campaign committee however they can raise and spend unlimited amounts of money to bolster that the candidate that they support or to attack his or her opponents. And, and oftentimes presidential candidates will count that money that's being raised by the super PACs 
toward their overall dollar figure, which, which may or may not be disingenuous. You be the judge. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, for example, he has a what's called a leadership pack, which can't spend money on overt election related stuff, but can, oh, I don't know, pay for Donald Trump's travel or, or, or do some sort of around the margins type of uh, payments for various types of activities. We have joint fundraising committees. There's nonprofit organizations uh, that, that sometimes are in the mix. And then for some of these candidates, you have the issue of the fact that they are already an elected official in the U.S. House and the mm -hmm. U.S. Senate. Ron DeSantis, of course, is governor of Florida. And they can make, to certain degrees, depending on the level of government that they represent, they can make transfers from those committees, either to directly to their campaign committee, if they're a federal candidate already, or in the case of Ron DeSantis, he's used his state committee in Florida and transferred a whole bunch of money to a super PAC, which now all of a sudden he is not associated with, but was up until the time when he transferred money from his state account to his supportive super PAC that he is no longer connected with. So, you know, there are shell games upon shell games uh, that, that are going on here. And, and when we talk about funny math and funny money, we're talking about this type of stuff. And those are the mechanics. The specific example I wanted to give you was one that Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, former mm -hmm. uh, UN ambassador, of course, running for president here in 2023 toward 2024. She intermingled all of these, you know, different numbers from all these different kinds of groups that were associated with her in a way prior to real numbers coming out a few months ago in a way that, that just simply didn't add up when you looked at the real numbers. So she really stepped in it and she overinflated so she, her numbers. That, that was, that was, that was an actual an actual fib like like the the numbers didn't add up the right way on on the spectrum from massaging the truth on one end to yeah straight up overt lie on the other end uh, this one was was definitely toward the overt lie end of the spectrum and uh you know is she going to pay a price for this politically is it going to hurt her well nikki haley's kind of a whole lot of nowhere anyway right now yeah. so one could argue that she kind of didn't have much to lose uh, and didn't want to come out of the gate as a candidate looking like she had uh, very over uh, underwhelming numbers and a, an overwhelming gap to uh, to have to close going forward. But, you know, it's definitely not helping her case if somebody really cares about a candidate who is going to be truthful about the way that that they present these numbers and one could also argue uh, the degree to which uh, anyone really cares about how truthful these candidates are being if they already love them and already support them yeah ultimately i think like those kind of questions are obviously things that we like to feast on here on this show uh, i don't know how much they move the needle that this really does seem to be a zero-sum game fundraising equals momentum small number bad large number good and any kind of distinction between that is is sort of lost and and we're dealing with two things here and you just nailed the first part of it which is sort of this ephemeral momentum thing if if you've got a lot of money and you can demonstrate that and your numbers come out and they're big great we've got the momentum we're going in the right direction give me even more money and, <laughs> And if you're not, there, everybody's doing it. Everyone is doing it, and and you are you are left out in the cold if you don't. Uh, you are, 
you know, uh, you, you are a, a bad, bad Trump supporter. You are a bad, yes. bad uh, Ron DeSantis supporter. And no joke, some of the fundraising messages that are going to go out there are are at best scolding and at worst just haranguing people for <laughs> not doing enough. Uh, it, it literally, like you, you almost feel like you're seven years old and, and you're, you got a D minus on your report card and your mother is just lighting into you. I mean, that's the kind of vibes that you get from some of these fundraising emails and the party committees are, are oftentimes the worst about it. Uh, so expect some of that, but there's, in addition to sort of that momentum thing, there, there's a real practical implication, Justin, that we've got going on right now, yeah. which is the debate stage. We're going to have our mm. first Republican presidential debate that's coming up in August. And to get on that debate stage, well, there's a couple things you have to do. First of all, you got to be polling at least 1%. I believe it's in three national polls leading up to the debate or two national and, polls. And, and by the way, yeah, by the way, all these polls starting like, I believe, a week ago. So nothing that's happened up till now. We have just opened the window for polls to come out that actually qualify for this. But please go ahead. I cut you off. No, correct. And and, and that's key. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you were... If you were 1% in a poll back in April and you've kind of fallen off the map since then, you're out of luck. Uh, So it's got to be recent. Or you can poll, you know, 1% or more in a national poll, in two national polls, and also in a more local poll in one of the early states, such as Iowa or South Carolina or New Hampshire or Nevada. So, all right, say you cross that bar, You, you you have cleared that threshold. What else do you have to do? Well you got to be able to demonstrate that you have raised serious money. And that's where it's really going to get difficult for some of these candidates who have not raised money and and not been able to get what, you know, ultimately is going to be, you know, tens and tens of thousands of individual donors by the time the debate rolls around. Plus, I believe it's 200 individual donors across 20 different states. So, you know, 200 in California and in Texas and in New York and so forth. So that's a a serious consideration for some of the candidates who who right now might not even be second tier. They might be third or fourth tier, but yet still their best hope for jumping up a notch is going to be being able to go toe to toe and stand on that same stage with a Ron DeSantis, who absolutely is going to be in, or Donald Trump, who is absolutely going to be in, although he may or may not actually choose to go on the debate stage. And and Justin, I'll I'll quit after just just noting this. There have been some yeah. really creative ways that candidates have tried to square the circle and uh, and and be able to. Uh, you know, effectively inveigle donors to. Oh, make these a are these are these are great because I saw a great one today. And if it's not your example, I'll 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 I'll, I'll tell you it after yours. Uh, is it a certain um, North Dakota governor by chance uh, that that you're talking about? Because indeed, that's the one I'm indeed, bring up. yes, indeed. Uh, I would like to salute this strategy uh, uh, because it is it is very creative. Although has to be an absolute money incinerator. But go ahead. Bob Burgum, the governor of uh, of North Dakota, Doug Doug said, Doug Burgum. Sorry, although, although, although 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 I I I do like Bob Bob's Burgums. Uh, uh, would Bob, be Bob. that 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 would be better merch, I think, for him than what he uh, what he's done here to try to pass this threshold. I, I was I was just talking to a Bob, so you you must uh, <laughs> give me a mulligan there. So uh, Doug Burgum has come out yes. with a ploy here 
to say, give me $1, donate a single George Washington greenback to me. And what will I give you in return? I'll give you a $20 gift card. So, hey, you know, even people out there who who didn't pass ninth grade math, they, yeah. they know that if you give a dollar and, and you get 20 back, that that's a pretty darn good deal. And even if you don't uh, support um, Doug Burgum, Bob Burgum or Dane Burgum, <laughs> you're you're going to you're going to know that 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 might be not the worst thing in the world. So especially if everyone in your family, you know, chips in, suddenly you're you're, you're talking about. So, some real scratch you're talking about dinner tomorrow or, or yeah exactly you know, a trip to the, the the concert in the weekend so is it legal i've talked to a few lawyers about this they, yeah. they've kind of rolled their eyes and was like well technically yes although you know we can debate the ethics about it for sure but the fact of the matter is if if you're going to try to you know, get yourself out of this pickle and and clear the threshold for for getting on the debate stage. That that's a pretty novel way uh, of doing it for candidates to more or less bribe people. Okay, let's call it what it is. Uh, and it, it legal bribery, as it may be. It will be curious to see if there are any complaints uh, that are logged with the Federal Election Commission, uh, for example. Um, you know, there, there could be some novel arguments to say that, in fact, that that is illegal uh, and, uh, in, in, you know, could could be tantamount to vote buying or something yeah. of that sort. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what actually happens. Uh, you're, you know, I, I am not an election law lawyer and, uh, you know, election law lawyers, I think, will have some dif- uh, some different opinions on exactly what this amounts to. But for the here and now, this is his play, and it's it's a very very curious one. That, frankly, Justin, I I wouldn't be shocked if uh, it gets replicated by any of the many candidates uh, who are also in the same boat, uh, not there with donations, and probably not going to be unless they do something really really radical and dramatic. And I think this fits the bill. Well, the thing with Bergam is that I believe, if I have my facts right, that this was an escalation from a previous strategy where he was selling one dollar American flags. So uh, and even then, while it might seem unseemly to effectively give people nineteen dollars so you can clear an arbitrary threshold so you can get television time, it is probably not even among the most scuzzy versions of this, which often I mean, the mainstream version of this that we saw in the 2020 primary where the Democrats use this uh, was largely selling people a, a thing for a dollar that is if even just tangentially connected to a campaign and, and, and trying to generate at least transactions that way. But I, I kind of feel like these thresholds in general are really just a kickback to the, the, the party contractors that sort of, uh, move around in these circles and can get paid a lot of money so they can target the right amount of people and get somebody over this threshold. Because if you've got enough scratch, this is not a hard thing to do through Facebook ads, regardless of how you eventually do it. You, It is possible to make a bad bargain on Facebook to enough people in enough states that you can hit that number if you've got the money. But obviously oh, you need completely. the money. You need the money. I mean, the goal here is to get the requisite number of donations that you need to get on the debate stage. That is yes. the goal. 
Now, the Republican Party doesn't care. I mean, in fact, they they love it. There's great advantage because this means that there are going to be more and more and more people who are giving money to Republicans. And that dollar that you give, well, there's more than just that dollar that is given. You're also giving your name. You're giving your address. You're giving your email address. You're probably giving your phone number. And you're giving basically your identity and yourself to the Republican Party, which is a commodity. It can be bought. It can be sold. It can be rented. And if you've ever wondered, hey, uh, I'm I'm getting a whole bunch of like spam email from places that I had never signed up for their email list before. I wonder how that happened. Well, yeah. I'll tell you how it happens. Your your name and your identity has been bought, sold, or rented. And Democrats do this. Republicans do it. Everyone does it. This is not one of those situations where it's like, oh, false equivalency. No, this is like true, unabashed equivalency here. This, Both this is, are really, yeah. really good at it. This is X's and O's in modern campaigning and modern money making in in that world. Like this is this isn't even really controversial. In fact, this is, to my knowledge, and you're the expert on this. This is the first time that the Republicans have employed this kind of threshold, which the first time I remember seeing it was on the Democratic side where it was looked at as a a, a populism or grassroots barometer. Yeah, and that that is one way you could describe it, okay? And the other way to describe it is this is a party-building bu- effort, and they're doing everything yes. that they can <laughs> to extract both dollars and information and out data. of their voters. And, and data. And, and data is massive, because ultimately, what's that data going to be used for? Well, fundraising, of course, but also, too, for targeting voters and getting people out mm-hmm. to vote and, and volunteer. And, you know, both parties now have very sophisticated databases uh, and data operations that will be able to merge and marry together all of this data, voting role data, financial data, support data, anything that you've ever signed up for, done, whatever, it is there to be put together and mashed up with something else about you. And that is how these operations work. Barack Obama was really at the vanguard uh, of this back in 2000. And eight, and definitely in in twenty twelve, uh, and that has you know just sort of you know blown up. Some would say metastasized into the current massive big data political operation that now exists. And yeah, this is how campaigns are run in twenty twenty four, and they're only getting more and more sophisticated. I, I'm not going to open this Pandora's box, but uh, can only wonder what the AI implications of the 2024 election are going to be. We can't answer that question right now because I think all the campaigns at this point are themselves trying to answer that question. And certainly the parties are trying to do so ahead of the general election. That's going to be something to watch, Justin. Oh, certainly, certainly. And boy, howdy, will the snake oil salesman be uh, uh, this is this is a boom a boom time for anybody who wants to go to a, a campaign a struggling campaign and say I've got the AI tonic that'll grow your hair back <laughs> I have I have the 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 cure all gift it's called artificial intelligence it's called Chat GPT I can fix it for you uh, uh, because there's there are going to be a lot of targeting elements here I don't know if twenty four is going to be the election we're going to see the biggest uh, a jump from it. I don't think that this is necessarily going to be a Facebook year in the way that Obama, this is back when Obama, when it was cool to brag about working with Facebook uh, uh, to target <laughs> voters. Um, you know, obviously we were a long way away from Cambridge Analytica then. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and in a lot of ways it's like, this seems 
scary or predatory at, at, at this point, but this is something that's been done on a, on a, you know, prehistoric level with, uh, you know, magazine subscription lists and stuff like that, uh, for, for, for decades. Right. Yeah. And, and that still happens too. I mean, the, the AI element is, uh, it is fascinating and, and scary in particular, because let's go back to like the whole Cambridge Analytica data scandal. If you, mm-hmm. you know, remember that from a few years yep. ago, I mean, that that's going to look like, ABC one, two, three romper room stuff compared to, you know, the type of data operations for, you know, almost like psych psych op operations, politically speaking, that might be put forth as a result of the technological advances over the course of, of just a few short years. Again, big caveat, big asterisk. We have no idea where this is going, but we know it's here and we know it's going to be used. And we know that political campaigns and parties are thinking about it and going to be experimenting with it. So yes. it's something that absolutely bears attention and, and and warrants us monitoring very closely because ultimately, you know, the the people are the ones who are going to benefit or be harmed by this. And likely, you know, harm is, uh, is part of the process uh, in political campaigns, not to be overly cynical about this, but, uh, yeah. but that's a real factor. As somebody who's, who's pays a lot of attention to tech stuff, and pays a lot of attention to politics and knows that oftentimes what is said to be a tremendous technological advantage is not a particular technological advantage. I think that there'll be a lot more scams about AI in this cycle than there will be gigantic breakthroughs, but who knows? It is a very, very fast moving technology. So we will see what happens there, but let's get into the numbers. Now, what are your, or who rather Dave are your big winners of announced numbers thus far. Donald Trump is the big winner. And Donald Trump is the big winner because Donald Trump has been indicted, in charged in New York and at the federal level for felony crimes. And, you know, if there's there's a bigger moneymaker than having the big, bad, deep state, horrible government come after you, and and if that cannot be used to convince people who are already your supporters to support you that much more, I don't know what is. So in, in this very um, kind of bizarro world that we live in, uh, for yeah. Donald Trump, you know, him getting arrested and him being charged in the two cases that he's already charged in. And, you know, of course, let's remember there there's Georgia. He could be charged there. There, there are other federal investigations. There's, yeah, there's on. January sixth. I mean, that that's that's yeah, lingering absolutely. now. Yeah. So you know, so that this is going. These are fundraising opportunities for Donald Trump, and guess what? He treated them one thousand percent as fundraising opportunities. So his campaign operation is saying that it raised. Thirty-five million dollars. Again, we will get final numbers as to how that is. And, and, th- and this is in this is in what period of time? We're, we're talking about the second quarter here of 2023. So Donald Trump already reported for January, February, and March how much money he raised, which was about half of what he's saying he raised in the second quarter of this year, in April, May, and June, when uh, w- when he was indicted and then charged. So, it, you know, correlation, absolutely. Uh, there, a, a causation, almost certainly. And Donald Trump has definitely had a more successful second quarter because he's been able to say, hey, you know, I I am the victim here. I am I am in my moment of need. Help me out. And he's also leading in the polls, every single yeah. one of them. So he's got a he's got this kind of like 
you know, two-headed thing going on here, which is just benefiting him to a great degree. Now, ultimately, we could be having a very different conversation three months or six months from now about how these cases are ultimately going to go out. But in the moment, and Donald Trump is a man of the moment, he has exploited these charges against him as much as he possibly can. And it is really, you know, cha-ching. Uh, the, the cash register has been hit time and time again and is is plenty filled up right now, Justin. Who could have possibly seen that coming, Dave? I know, nobody, right? <laughs> Who could have possibly seen Donald Trump being the main character of politics would benefit him politically and financially? Like, when has that ever happened before, except for his, you know, two years running for president and four years as president and all the other time in between? And, you know, he, he had a pretty good playbook with uh, the two impeachments that he had where he fundraised off them like crazy and supporters of Donald Trump also to fundraise for their own purposes like crazy. Yeah. So anytime you can fundraise off uh, the corrupt system, the swamp, uh, you know, play the play the greatest hits. Uh, Donald Trump is playing them now. Plus, he's got new fodder with with, you know, the dozens and dozens of charges that he's facing. And it's uh, added up to uh, a really successful second quarter for him, well beyond what any of the other Republican candidates who are running in this race have been able to do with, of course, the uh, the the note on this that many candidates who are running, they got into the race at some point during the second quarter while it was in progress. So Donald Trump will release numbers that had a whole three months worth of activity yeah. behind them. Ron DeSantis, for example, got in later. He's going to post about a $20 million number, so he says, but that's only uh, over the course of, you know, less than half of that period. So, you know, in a way, had Ron DeSantis had the full amount of time that Donald Trump had running as a candidate uh, in this, then, you know, we might be looking at a, a number that was comparable uh, to Donald Trump, even if Ron DeSantis is still trailing in the polls. Well, yeah, although that includes his initial burst, which is that's always that's always the big thing. And that's why you got to keep an eye. I would say for all of my 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 money hawks out there that are are keyed into these stories and love having Dave coming on. That number is very impressive around the Sanders. You'd rather have the number than not have the number. And let's see what Q3 is, because That first yeah, day number, that first week number is always going to help your first quarter. But yes. are you going to be able to maintain that momentum? So, uh, so you know, like, Kamala Harris had a crazy first. <laughs> you first, read my mind. I'm like, just, yeah. just think to a certain vice president of the United States right now, because she yeah. had a little trouble with this, uh, you know, back in 2019 that didn't even get her to the Iowa caucuses. So, yeah, we, we see how that goes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, just to go back to Trump for a second on the indictments, I think part of the reason why it's very, very, very formidable for him is that you saw two different, very different indictments. Uh, one indictment that had been in New York litigated forever. We've had a lot of conversations about Stormy Daniels. We've had a lot of conversations about uh, uh, the organization around him, whether or not he, he, you know, paid X, Y, or Z. It's been discussed to death and then charges come. So not only is it an older story that now faces something, but also you had, you know, a, a fairly wide swath of legal minds, both liberal and conservative, saying that this is a, a bit of a specious, a bit of a reach, right? Then you've got, 
The documents case, which comes from a far more serious source in, in a federal charge, but you have to wonder exactly how much the average American uh, or uh, specifically for fundraising, how much the average MAGA nation is denizen cares about where documents are and whether or not Donald Trump has the ability to declassify them. Something that is, you know, uh, depending on who you ask more or less nebulous. And so that's, I, I, I think the, the difference between those two cases that were brought and yet the result being the same is indicative of a hardening in this dynamic. If you come at Trump and you charge him, his popularity will go up, his support will harden, and he will raise a ton of money. That seems to me to be a cause and effect. Without question. And and that is great for Donald Trump in the moment. And it's very yes. daunting for the candidates who are running against Donald Trump in the moment, none of whom have been able to make really any headway. Ron DeSantis has lost ground by yep. some certain measures. You know, maybe Tim Scott is moving up a percentage point or two or we're at we're at we're at noise, though. I mean, like this is truly like, yeah, it it is, you know, old school TV static. And and that's exactly what they're doing. So, you know, that could change, though, because, hey, if uh, if the person who is leading in the polls uh, at this point in time and. 2016 uh, was going to absolutely be the the Republican nominee, then we'd be talking about Scott Walker or Jeb Bush, President Scott Walker or Jeb Bush, uh, and they'd be at the end of their second term right now, right? But, you know, things happen. Uh, Things change. Candidates go up, they go down, things add, things flow. But the big difference here is in 2016 or at any other period in modern political history, we never had a former president who had been president, who lost and and was trying to pull the old Grover Cleveland on you and and win a second non-consecutive term. We've never had that. And also, too, we've never had a president like Donald Trump. So add that up, and that adds up to big money for Donald Trump at this point and a lot of headwinds for these candidates who, mind you, you know, have to make the case at some point as to why they're even running for president at all. You know, you've got Donald Trump still in this race. Many of them are running as well, hey, we got all the policy things that Donald Trump has, but we're not Donald Trump. Well, that's not much of a starter for people who are like, well, we like Donald Trump and, oh, Donald Trump is in the race and Donald Trump's policies are Donald Trump's policies. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to stick with Donald Trump for now until we got a reason not to. Now, obviously, we've got a lot of these candidates who are banking and betting on Donald Trump flaming out at some point that that he literally is going to be put in a jail cell or his trial is going to be going yes. on simultaneous with the presidential race or, you know, he's not a young man. Something happens to him. OK, he has a health issue and he just can't run for president anymore. And this obviously is a, you know, a concern for both the leaders of the Democratic and the Republican Party in, in the presidential race uh, with Joe Biden, too. Uh, so. You know, you don't know what's going to happen, but if you're not in the arena, if you're not playing the game, well, then you can't win the game. So that is, you know, one consideration for all of these candidates. And also, too, it's darn good PR. Like, look at all the people well, sure. who yeah. you know, have run for president and have parlayed that into 
you know, some cabinet post or, or use it as a springboard for this, there, the other thing. They're, they're better than they were before. Yeah, exactly. And, they're better than they were know. before, no matter, no matter where they land. Uh, uh, all right. Let me, let me ask you this. Any disappointing numbers thus far or anybody that, that you would have expected to have a number out publicly that has not, and therefore might be gritting their teeth for the 15th. I mean, not really. And and I'm not trying to cop out here, but did we really expect Mike Pence to be raising $50 million? Did we really no. expect that, that, you know, people were going to be falling all over themselves to, to give, you know, their, their last pennies to Chris Christie? No, we didn't. And so, you know, when they put up very, you know, moderate numbers, uh, humble, in, in that, humble numbers, that that is much better word. Uh, I'm glad you used it. And that's what we're gonna <laughs> so going to be a few million bucks here, going to be a few million bucks there. None of it is going to amount to anything like what Ron DeSantis or, or Donald Trump are raising. Now, we've got a couple of, you know, kind of interesting little wrinkles here you know you've got uh vivek ramaswamy who's running who's a you know self-made and 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 seems to be the breakout name that is not donald trump or ron DeSantis in this primary uh which is a bit of a surprise considering you've had so many nationally known elected politicians in this race but uh, at least in some of the polling now he seems to be you know challenging pence for that that distant third slot and, you know, you, you always have sort of that that kind of one oddball out of the, you know, out of the ether candidate who comes in and kind of captures people's attention as saying some things that are are interesting. I mean, you can think of if you go back 10 years to, you know, Herman Cain, for example, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the guy's, a you know, the CEO, former CEO of a pizza company that wasn't even all that good. OK, well, why should he be president of the United States? Shots fired at Godfathers. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> he's saying some stuff, you know, he's got his nine, nine, nine plan yep. and so on and so forth. And the most unhinged like political advertisement I've ever seen in my life, which is oh, my it was, favorite. It was amazing. Go, go back and watch that ad. I mean, yeah, I am America. Yeah. Smile for the rest of the day. Just, uh, just do it now. But after you listen to the podcast, of course, but yeah, you know, there's a guy who was for a brief second at the top of the polls, he was leading, he was, he was beating everyone. And, and then, you know, the wheels fell off, but, so whether that's it, you know, this situation or not, regardless, he's got some money. Okay. If he wants uh, yeah, to sell has, has, has he announced, has he announced the number, Vivek? I, I don't believe so, but, uh, okay. but, you know, he'll have to put in definitely the, you know, the amount of money that he personally gave to his campaign or loaned his campaign when the numbers come out in a couple of days. So that's interesting. Another one who, Nobody's going to recognize his name, but we wrote a story about him at Raw Story. I, I spoke with him recently is John Anthony Castro. He's another Republican presidential candidate. He just kind of officially launched his campaign just a few days ago, going up to New Hampshire. He's moving there. He's loaned his campaign $20 million. He's an incredibly wealthy tax, uh, tax attorney and CEO down in Texas. Uh, he's very anti-Trump. You know, he's got about as much chance of winning the presidency as you or I have of winning the presidency next year. But by the same token, he's willing to, you know, try to make a name for himself and put some of his own money behind it. I should note too, that he has sued Donald Trump in federal court. He's made FEC complaints against Donald Trump as well, arguing that he should not be on the ballot 
because of his activities related to January 6th. So, you know, a few interesting things going on, but 20 million bucks, if he decides to spend all that, and there's no saying that, that he will spend all or even most of it. But if he does start digging into this real money, I mean, that's real money. And it's real money that that could definitely vault him into prominence in a way that he certainly does not enjoy right now. Well, we will have to keep an eye on all of this. When does Q3 end? Q3 will end in mid-October. So we'll know all the numbers for uh, for July, August, and September in mid-October. Yeah. And, and you know, that uh, I think at that point usually gives you a a pretty good reality check. Of I think, yeah. Who, who truly is going to, at least from a financial standpoint, uh, be in it to win it. That's when Kamala Harris really ran into some serious trouble. And if, if you've been in this race for, you know, at that point, months, and people are just not coming out and, and giving you money and putting skin in the game and, and, and making that dollar donation or hundred or a thousand dollar donation, then it's going to be pretty difficult for you to make the case that 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 you're the guy or you're you're the woman or whatever and and should be the nominee of the party and it definitely is not going to help your case usually in some of the early states uh because yeah. well because money buys will, you staff money buys yeah. you travel you got to do it. it it's some of the practical natures of this we'll, well be we'll be done with the first debate we will be done with the summer so Getting around Iowa and New Hampshire is only going to get more difficult and more expensive. And uh, uh, this is this is a very, very big rubber meets the road moment. And it's going to really, I think, determine the trajectory of this entire Republican primary, because right now and like you pointed out, a lot can happen. But half these candidates, half this field is predicated, including Ron DeSantis is predicated on the idea that Donald Trump can't win the general election. And you know, not a lot of people are talking about it because a lot of people don't want it to be true. But if you look at some of these national polls and these state polls, he's competitive or beating Biden in a way that he has not in a while in, in some of these key States and some of these national polls. And if he's raising a lot of money and he looks electorally viable post indictment, then you know, uh, I think it's it, it's going to be harder to make that case, especially if you ain't making money. Yeah, and and you're going to have to move on pretty quickly from from that line of uh, of inquiry uh, or or that you know statement that well, hey, elect me because Donald Trump Trump is not electable. Well, Donald Trump is is showing and demonstrating in polls that well, actually, he is quite electable and he's doing great against Joe Biden yes. relative to where you think he would be. Well, what's going to be the play at that point? What is a Ron DeSantis going to say? So that's, you know, really going to be kind of the the pivot point, the 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 moment of truth, the day of reckoning when candidates are going to if that holds true, you know, Donald Trump remains competitive in that way. They're going to have to decide, well, all right, what is our strategy going to be now? And, And they're going to have to make a choice to go on the offensive and truly attack Donald Trump. Talk about, you know, do whether Donald Trump is guilty or not, if if he is deemed guilty by a jury of his peers and Donald Trump faces not just criminal charges, but is convicted criminally, how can we he needs to step away? We need a different choice in the Republican Party than the than the endless drama 
and, and, and fatiguing nature of the presidency that will come with Donald Trump being there again. And, and they're going to have to go after the king. Like they're not going to have a choice at that point. And some of them are going to be in a better position to do it than others. If you have money, if you have the resources to make a compelling nationwide or at least very targeted in those early states type of argument of that sort, then maybe you got a shot. But yeah, you now Donald Trump at this moment, he's he's not sitting pretty because of all the things that are going on. But in the primary itself, he is sitting pretty pretty. I mean, if you look at some of Biden's approval ratings now, too, I, I think it is it is about as sunny of a picture that you could paint for a president who has been indicted twice over the last few months. Dave yeah, Leventhal of Ross Story, our friend, the money man. What do you got cooking over there? Got lots going on. I got an interview up uh, with the president of Gays for Trump that uh, just went up very recently and a whole bunch of other exclusives that, in fact, do deal a lot with money. Shocking as that may be. Mm -hmm. So definitely go to rawstory.com and check them out. I should note, too, that uh, we have a couple of new reporters uh, who've just joined uh, on our investigative team who are doing absolutely fantastic work. Look for the byline. Alexandria Jacobson and Mark Alicia, they are tearing it up. And uh, along with their colleague, Jordan Green, who just done some uh, really extraordinary exclusive reporting uh, that uh, you can all find there. You'll love to see it. Dave, thank you so much. Thank you. And that'll wrap it up for us to Day Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you'd like to thank Dave Leventhal for doing the show, you can go to px3guest.com, letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. You can send me an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Twitter's px3tweets for the show, Justin R. Young for me. Find me live on Twitch, px3live.com. Our newsletter is px3newsletter.com. It's back, by the way. Doing it multiple times a week. Just watch me. Podcast. This podcast. I don't know why I became a beat poet all of a sudden. You can share it with your friends, family, and clergy. px3podcast.com. If you'd like to give me a one-time donation, you can do so via PayPal. PayPal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And you can send any checks you would like in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. You can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule in our $10 tier. Get your name right at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Jason, Andres, Matt. John Gross, C. Garcia, Matthew T. Albasso, John, Craig Potts, MC Radio, Bugs Life, Neemeister, Unsafety, B Level, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, DP Vorbongo, Catherine Todd, and Vogloria Young for King of the New World Order, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, BA, Select, Start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arslanian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terror, and Molly's Dashing Debut, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad Richard, just another pilot. Middle-aged Mike, who loves Frank, got abducted. Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen A L D L D L D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, Joshua. You want your name right on the show? Especially during these hectic times. 
one place to do it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com On Friday's edition of the show, what the hell happened with this Ron DeSantis thing? I want to know. I'm going to take a deep dive through it. It's going to be a fun time. Because I got some serious questions. Till then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying... Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics, but this, this is the only show that dares discuss Oh, Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.